in Psalm 22. This psalm is sometimes called the Psalm of the Cross. Um, There is a human psalmist, someone who wrote the psalm, that was somehow kind of trying to convey uh, the feelings of his heart. We know that to be the case because God inspired holy men of God to write down his word as as the Holy Spirit moved them. But while there's a human author underneath this, he was ultimately, and the New Testament uh, underscores this and repeats this in so many ways, we know that this psalm is really the heart cry of our Lord from the cross, which is why it is often called the psalm of the cross. So I can't help but hear every time I listen to this psalm and read it and think about it, and I hope I hope to give you this thought as well, I can't help but hear Jesus as he's saying these words. So I want you all to listen to me as I, as I read it. I'm going to read all 31 verses. I would often ask you to stand. I'm not going to do that because I'm going to listen to 31 verses. So I'm going to let you stay seated while we do this. But I do want you to pay attention as I read all 31 verses. I do believe that um, as much as I'm going to try to preach to you, you ain't going to get much better than just hearing the word of God directly. So I'm just going to do that for you. And let's read that together. Psalm 31, excuse me, Psalm 31. Psalm 22, and we begin in verse 1. And here's what the scripture says. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from hearing me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and they were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh at me to scorn. They shoot out the lip and shake their heads saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. I, thou art my God and from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset, round, beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ra- ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaw. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lot for my vestures, upon my vestures. But thou, but excuse me, be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. 
Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All the seed, the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye the seed of Israel, for He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has He hid His face from Him. But when He cried unto Him, He heard, My praise shall be unto, of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear me, or fear Him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall be they shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindred of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that shall go down to the dust shall bow down before him. And none can keep alive his soul, his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. Would you pray with me as we thank the Lord for his word and ask him to speak to our hearts about what is, what is here. Lord, please help us. We, we, we are bringing into this sanctuary this morning. I, I imagine, I, I don't even know the individual lives that are represented here, but Lord, I know you know that they're bringing into this sanctuary a lot of burdens and uh, pain, even some suffering, things that maybe they don't even know about each other, Lord, because there's some private things that are going on. But Lord, I pray that they will hear your word that you have given to us in your grace and your love that you've given us your word, they will hear what they need to be reminded of how good and wonderful and available you are to them. And I pray this in the name of my Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, this psalm is often thought of as uh, a psalm of Jesus on the cross. It's a messianic psalm. Of course, this was written well before Jesus ever came. And so it was written to show people, to tell people that there was one who would do this for them because there's nothing in this that's described in this that would have been in the normal experience of a person of that time. In fact, there's the things that are described here, the only thing that really fits 100% is crucifixion, which would have never been something that the, the Jews of that era before the, before the Roman era ever happened that they would even understood. So we know that this was explicitly intended to be a messianic psalm. In fact, uh, the, the great uh, uh, English preacher Charles Spurgeon, he thought that Jesus may have actually quoted this psalm on the cross. And his belief in that is based on, if you go to the gospel accounts of Jesus and what he says on the cross, he begins his sayings on the cross with verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And his very last words that he breathes, and you read those over in John 19, where he says, it is finished. If you were to look at the last words of this psalm, it says that he hath done this. And we know that he, of course, in you know, the language and all that, the, the essence of what his message was, that it's done. It's finished. It's taken care of. So, so I believe that's possible. We don't know, of course, if that's exactly what he was doing. But it's very likely that he was meditating, Jesus was meditating on this psalm before he goes to the cross. And I can imagine that that's very likely. It's his word. He's allowed to do that, right? And I would hope that he would, in fact. But I'm bringing this psalm to your attention because I imagine that some of you right now are enduring some difficult times. That's not a very, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a prophet, so I don't have to know much about you to know that most of us are having some trouble right now. Uh, that's just how the world is. It's a broken world we live in, isn't it? 
uh, even if it weren't this moment, there, you could have done this 10 years ago or 10 years from now, and I could say that that's the reality, that some of us are dealing with physical pains and illnesses. Some of us are dealing with the loss of material possessions, maybe a job that's gone, or, or some, uh, maybe you lost a, lost a home or things like that. Those are, those are real problems that people have. Some of us are dealing with the rejection and the shame that comes with rejection. Maybe it's because of things that are our own fault. I mean, I can be my own worst enemy sometimes. So maybe it's my fault, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's something someone else did to me. And there's shame and the rejection that comes from that. But it all leaves you in this place where you feel abandoned by God. And, and you'll never say it out loud because y'all are in, in a nice church on a Sunday morning. And you know all these good Christian folk around you might look bad at you. So you ain't going to say it out loud. I understand that. But I'll, I'll, I'll put voice to the thoughts that are sometimes in our heads. God, what are you doing? Where are you? Is this even real? Is there any real faith? Do I, my faith just feels so weak. And, and we feel that way. But I want to tell you based on this psalm that you have a high priest that has been touched by your feelings of infirmities. I'm quoting loosely from Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 15. He was one that was tempted just like you were, just like you are, but he never, ever, ever sinned. But he knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're going through. All of those pains and those doubts and those worries and those fears, he's felt every one of them. He has felt them. He understands it, and he understands it in a way that nobody else can. There may be something unique, and very likely there are some things that are unique to you, and especially in this room. There may be some things that are unique to you that nobody else in this room could ever understand, could never quite feel it. But let me just go ahead and tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what you're experiencing. He has been touched by your infirmities. He has felt what you're feeling. He knows it. He understands it. And he appreciates it. He knows, first, he knows your abandonment. He knows that feeling of rejection. He knows that feeling of being uh, uh, lonely. He understands that. If you go to verse 1, he starts off this psalm by saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is almost word for word for what you'd find if you were to flip over to Matthew chapter 27 in Jesus' words on the cross in verse 46. Here's Jesus who comes to this world and does nothing but good. I can't find anything that Jesus did in the, in the Gospels that was anything but good. Can you? I mean, anything. Nobody could actually find anything that Jesus said in the Gospels. I mean, I don't care if you're a critic of Jesus. You can't find anything in there that he did was bad. Nothing, nothing wrong with what he did. Did nothing but good. Could you imagine if he, if there was someone like Jesus on this world today who could go and touch the sick and they would be healed? What would in the world would we do now? In this era, with, we've got this COVID thing that nobody knows exactly how to deal with. They're trying these vaccines and all this, but you've got Jesus walking around healing. Could you imagine that? He did that, yet what did they do? They wanted to string him up and put him on a cross. He helped people. He changed people. He made a difference in people's lives. Yet what did they do? They put him on the cross. And here he is standing, hanging really, by nails between heaven and earth. And the whole world has turned against him. Even his disciples, you understand, have gone off and run off into the, they've gone off and gone fishing is what they've done because they've just kind of had enough of this. 
everybody has turned against him. I think it's only John and his mother, uh, Mary, that are there at the cross. If I understand, if I remember John, uh, the, the gospel of John's account very well, that's about all he's got there. That's it. And on top of it all, he's looking up and clearly, not only is there physical darkness where God has shut out the sun, but there's a spiritual darkness in which God the Father has turned his back on his son to crush, to judge, to punish all the sins of all of humanity in his son. And Jesus cries out at that moment, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we know, and Jesus knew, I want you to know that even Jesus knew this, that was the plan from the beginning. This is not new information. Jesus wasn't like, oh my goodness, where did this come from? I mean, this was known, uh, Isaiah says in, 50, in Isaiah 53 verse 10, that it pleased the Lord to crush him, or to, to bruise him rather. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. We understand that, that's, that, that that was something that was known and prophesied. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, it uses the term, it was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So this was not new information that Jesus would die on a cross, that he would be rejected by the Father for the sins of all of humanity. This is not new information. But just because he knew it was going to happen didn't mean it didn't hurt. I know it's going to happen when they say it's time for your annual physical. I know that they're going to draw blood out of my arm, but that don't mean I ain't worried about it because I'm one of them kind of people that don't really like blood to be drawn out of my, my eye. I'm sorry, I'm just one of them people. But I'm just telling you, just because you know it's going to happen doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, that it doesn't feel. And Jesus felt it. He does, he's sitting there rejected by the entire world. I've been turned, I've been abandoned by a few people in my life. I'm sure you have too. People that you never thought would. But I can just tell you right now, I still got some friends. At least one or two. Not many, but I got a few. But our Lord Jesus Christ there taking the sins of the world on his shoulder was abandoned by everyone. So I want you to know that he understands your pain. He understands when you're praying and your prayers go unanswered, how disappointed you feel. He understands that feeling. He understands that when you're coming to church to hear a word from God and the preacher doing the best he possibly can to preach the God's word as clean and as clear and as true as he can, and you sit there and not hear a word from the Holy Spirit, you know he knows exactly what you're feeling when you're doing that. You're saying, what's wrong with me? God, why aren't you speaking to me? He understands when you're trying to make decisions in life and trying to figure out what the next move needs to be and you have no clarity whatsoever. He understands that feeling. That feeling of loneliness, that feeling of abandonment, that feeling of feeling like you're completely and totally alone. Jesus understands that feeling. He also knows your shame. He has felt those times when you felt rejected and ashamed because of something that's happened to you. Again, whether it's your fault or some other person's fault, either way, he understands that. In fact, you go to verse 6, it says there that he says, I am a worm and no man. You do understand that what they did to Jesus, while I understand at the time of the, Roman, of the Roman Empire, this was the way that they would have treated criminals, so it wasn't unusual in that respect, but let's just be honest about it. There was no humanity in what they were doing to Jesus. There is something, they were treating him as if he was subhuman, as if he was something less than a human being. 
And then it says in verse 7 that all they, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They just, they just shoot off at their mouth at me. They just say whatever comes to their mind. They say the most terrible, awful, disgusting things to me. And they did. They said terrible things to him. Such terrible things that even in the next verse 8, it says there that they mocked him for even having faith in the Father. They mocked him for that, and you can actually see over in Matthew 27 that this is exactly what they did. They almost said word for word what this verse in Psalms tells us. So he knows your pain. He understands those times when those people that you loved, just like Jesus. Remember Jesus? He came to this earth for the sins of the whole world. He was willing to take every one of your sins, every one of the sins of those terrible people, those Roman soldiers, the, the, the Jewish leaders, all those people. He took all their sins on him and he stood there ready to be judged by the Father for their sins and they reject him. So he understands when people turn against you, people that you love. He understands when you're abused and there have been people, I don't know if in this congregation, but I know in the, in the world at large, there are people that are abused every day. Children and women and even men and all sorts, whether it's physical or sexual or emotional or mental abuse. There are people that are treated in ways that ought not be done. It ought not be named among humanity, much less among church folk. But it happens. And what he says here is he understands when you're abused. He understands that feeling. He gets it. He's felt it. He's been through it before. And I want you to know that I may never understand what you're dealing with. The Lord Jesus Christ absolutely understands it. He understands it in a way that no one can. He also understands your pain. You see that the cross really involved his broken body and shed blood. And there's no way that you can have a crucifixion at all, just generally. We'll see some descriptions here, but there's no way at all that you can have a crucifixion in which there's not physical pain. There was absolutely physical pain involved. If you were to go to verse 12, he talks about being compassed with these bulls. In verse 13, he talks about these raven, raven, uh, roaring and ravening lions that are, that are almost like they're biting down on him. It's this sense of being overwhelmed, encircled by a mob that he could never get away from, that was wanting nothing but to hurt him and to lash out at him. And that caused you, I mean, there's an emotional pain with that. There's a panic that I could imagine I would feel if I ever, if, even this, this size of a crowd, y'all get all around me and y'all coming at me with, with guns and knives and everything else. I'm just going to tell you, I, I might look like I might have a little bit of size to me, but I'm going to be scared to death. I'm telling you, I'm going to be overwhelmed. That's the way that feels. That's what he's talking about. He says, I feel overwhelmed by them. He goes on in verse 14 to say, I'm poured out like water. The best way I can explain it, this isn't necessarily the way the Hebrew reads or anything. It's just my, my way of reading and understanding what the, what, what, what the psalmist here is saying on behalf of the Messiah. He said he's weak as water. You ever felt weak as water? Maybe when you're sick, had them fevers, and they just keep running. You can't even get up out of the bed. That's the, kind of, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of feeling that he had. He couldn't even move. He's like, I'm as weak as water. He even says in verse 14 that his bones are out of joint. He says, literally every bone in my body is hurting. My bones are out of joint. Nothing is attached the way it's supposed to. I feel completely and totally broken. And some of y'all have felt these physical feelings that I'm, I'm trying to describe, in, in, inadequately trying to describe, but nonetheless trying. You felt what I'm talking about. 
you know this feeling of pain, that of pain that you go to a doctor and say, can you help, tell me where it hurts, sir or ma'am? And you're saying, well, just everywhere it hurts. Everywhere. And that's exactly what our Lord was feeling. He goes on in verse 14 to say there that his heart was like, my heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. I don't know if you've ever felt this kind of pain. I've known some people who've described it to me. I can't say that I've felt it myself. But the kind of pain where you feel like you are about to die. Where you are not just, not just does it hurt and it's like, oh, that hurts. But there's a feeling in your chest like the end is here. And you're worried about it because you don't know how that's going to end up. I'm not talking about necessarily your spiritual condition. I'm just talking about... I ain't died before, so I don't know what that's going to be like. You understand what I'm talking about? That's what I'm talking. This is what I'm getting at. This is the feeling that the Savior said he under, that he felt, that his heart was like wax, like his heart just melted. Any courage that he had, any, any abilities that he had, it just, the fear completely overwhelmed him. He goes on in verse 15 that his strength is dried up like a potsherd. His tongue cleaveth to his jaws. He said that he had no strength at all left. He was so thirsty, it was debilitating. He goes on in verse 16 to talk about him then piercing his hands and his feet. We know that from the scripture that that's actually what happened. But do understand that the piercing of hands and feet, this is not like if you've got, like when you, the diabetics get the little finger prick. It's nothing like that. As bad as that is, I understand that can be bad over time, but they drove nails, literal spikes through his hands and his feet. And the pain of not only having that done, but using that now to support his body on the cross, this is what they did to him. Verse 17, it talks about how he was emaciated and he was aching. He was not able to, I mean, it, it, it is, his body was complete. He talks about, what is it there? It talks about these bones. Uh, where is it? I'm going to find that in verse uh, 17. I, I may tell all my bones. He said, you literally can count every one of my bones. They're all sticking out because I'm that emaciated. I'm that hurting. And he didn't have a whole lot. Jesus didn't have a whole lot. It talks about how he didn't even have a place to lay his head when he was on this earth. But one of the things he did have was this garment and we know from the gospel accounts, we also see it here reflected, that even that little garment that he had, that, that little bit that he did have, you know what they did? They gambled and stole it from him. They took it from him. So he understands what it's like to have nothing and have that taken away from you. He understands that. He understands all aspects of your pain. There are some of you that are dealing with emotional pain because you're overwhelmed by people who are against you. You're overwhelmed by your circumstances. You're overwhelmed by the decisions, the financial choices, the financial lack. You're overwhelmed by it. He understands that emotional pain. He understands that physical pain, that pain of a terminal illness, that pain of maybe an addiction that you're struggling with. He understands those kinds of pains. He understands what that's like. He understands the social and emotional pain of loss when maybe you lose a job or a home or even you lose your innocence because someone takes that from you. He understands. Doesn't just understand it like he gets it from a definition of a, of a textbook. He understands that he's been through it. He's felt it. He is in touch with your pain. Jesus understands all aspects of your pain. He understands all aspects of your loneliness. But what is so amazing about Jesus is he doesn't just understand it. If I were to go through some of the things that maybe one or two of y'all have gone through, we were to talk and say, yep, we can commiserate, have a common experience. 
the best I could do is say, I feel you, brother. <laughs> I know where you're coming from. And I couldn't do much for you. But you know what Jesus did? He actually did something about your situation. In this psalm, and I wish I had the time and you had the interest to do it, but I won't, I won't belabor this too much, but let me just point out to you very quickly, there's, there's really three movements in verses 1 through 21. There's three movements. Just I want to show you this really quickly. I won't give you a lot of detail, but if you'd like to study it, please do this on your own. But there are three movements. I've kind of talked about three of them. He was abandoned. That's the first one. You see that in the first few verses. But then, you know, in his response to that movement, he says, I'm abandoned. But then he says, thou, if you look in verse 3, but thou art, and it goes on and says it's talking about what God has done. He says, this is what I'm feeling, but this is what the Father has done. So you see that I, thou kind of con uh, 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 construct that's going on? So in verse, in verse 1, he's talking about how he's abandoned. But in verses 3 to 5, he talks about how God is trustworthy. In, in the next passage, the next movement, it talks about how he's rejected, how he's been shamed. But in verses 9 to 11, he talks about how the Father has loved him and cared for him. In the last passage, which I was just talking about, about the pain that he felt, he talks about all the pain he felt. Then in verses 9 to 11, he talks about how the Lord is always close by. That's, what he, that's how he see, you see these patterns. But, but those movements build up to, I told you, it goes to verse 20, 21. They build up to the last section of the, of the psalm, verses 22 to 31. And all those movements, that pain, yet the Lord is there, that, that, that suffering, yet the Lord is there, that abandonment, but the Lord is there, it all builds to verse 22 where he says, I will declare thy name unto thy brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise you. One of the things that's not necessarily explicitly stated but is assumed here is that between verses 21 and verse 22, something happened. Something happened. He's been praying. He's been calling out, help me, help me, help me. But there's been an answer to the prayer. Do you see that? There's been an answer to the prayer. And in the response to the answer to the prayer, there's, there's a public and joyful praise that we see. He's calling us brothers. Oh my goodness, Lord Jesus Christ calls you and me brothers, you two ladies. He calls us all brothers. We're part of the family of God because of this answer to prayer. His cries were answered, and he is victorious overall. You can see it in those verses. I won't reread them, but I want to remind you of a passage you're probably familiar with, and they're reflected here, where because Jesus, who comes in robed in flesh, dies on the cross, takes my shame, takes my sin, was buried, and three days later comes back to life. He is resurrected again. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that God highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus was victorious. Yes, he went through those things. He's felt where you are. But as a result of that, God the Father rose him from the dead. He comes back to life. And he, the God, of Son, God the Son, is victorious. And he is real, ruling and reigning. He is in control of all that. And you know what he's done? He's defeated your suffering. Now, you say, well, Matthew, he don't feel very defeated because it's pretty live and kicking in me right now. And I understand that. But do you understand that Jesus has defeated suffering? He hath done this, verse 31 says. It is done. It is finished. It is taken care of. The penalty of sin was paid for on the cross. 
And the pain of this sinful world was absorbed in Jesus Christ. And He is going to bring. He has at the cross, He has staked His claim. And there will come a day, it is not yet here, we suffer a little bit longer, but nonetheless there is a day where he has said that suffering will end, and that's why you can read with confidence, and I hope joy, when you go over to Revelation verse, uh, chapter 21 and verse 4 where it says that God's going to wipe away all tears. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's not going to be any more crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things, those things are passed away. God the Father says, I'm going to make all things new. Why is he able to do that? Just because he wants to? Well, I guess he could if he wanted to. But you know what his basis is? Jesus suffered. Jesus was lonely. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was rejected. Jesus went through all of that. So that you can understand that he knows exactly what you're dealing with. And one day he's going to take it all away. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying. There will be no more suffering. So this morning, I imagine there's at least one or two of y'all that feels abandoned. Feels alone. Feels ashamed. Feeling hurt. You might even have tears in your eyes, whether in this service or before you came, or know that their tears are going to flow later. You know that. Some of you have dealt with some real emotional devastation, spiritual devastation. There might even be Christian folks that have let you down. There might be people who claim to know the same Jesus you know that have hurt you. There may be. You could tell the stories for days if we wanted to listen. But I want you to know that Jesus knows, really knows, exactly what you're enduring. And I want you to know that he has opened the path to victory. To to leave you with a little hope, I want to give you this before, before I close. In Hebrews chapter 10, talks about how, in verses 19 and 20, that Jesus has made a way through his blood... And it says, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, through his flesh. So because his blood was shed, his body was broken because of that. We have, he says in verse 19, Hebrews 10, 19, we have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We can actually enter in and talk to the Father. The same cries that Jesus cries from the cross. In Psalm 22, you read some of that. You can cry the same cry. Lord, where are you at? Lord, they're hurting me. Lord, I'm in pain. You can go in and talk to him in the exact same time. Clearly, when I'm in a time of need, and some of us are in times of need, maybe in different ways, but we're in times of need. Do you know what I need when I'm in a time of need? I need some mercy, I need a break. I I need some grace. I need need something good. And Jesus suffered to open the door so that I can get a break and I can get something good. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. My invitation 
we're going to do that. We're just going to transition right into an invitation. I'm going to invite my wife to come up and play an invitation song for us. My invitation for you is will you come boldly to the throne of grace, walking the path and opening the door that Jesus Christ paved and that Jesus Christ is to give you the hope that you need. Will you walk that path? Will you say, I have a need this morning. I need something. You know what that need might be for some of y'all that are listening to me? I don't know you well enough, so I don't know where your heart is. I don't know your testimonies. So I'm just going to go ahead and say there might be one or two of y'all in here that don't know Jesus as your Savior. That the pain you're feeling right now is the least of your worries because there's an eternity in hell to face. You need to come to Jesus because he's paved the way. If you're sitting here struggling with your faith, you say, I'm a Christian, but I, I'm hurting and I just don't know if God's real. I don't see how this stuff that everybody keeps talking about, it's just not resonating with me. Come to Jesus. He's opened the door. He's paved the way. Won't you come? I'm going to ask you to stand. You respond as the Holy Spirit moves you, but I want to encourage you to come to Jesus for your time of need. Seek the help that you need. He has promised to offer that to you. Would you come? Would you come?